welcome to Brain Chat. I'm Dr. Mitzi Joy Williams, your board-certified neurologist and MS specialist, and my mission is to engage, educate, and empower those affected by MS to become an active part of their healthcare team. Here on Brain Chat, we'll be discussing all things MS, health and wellness, advocacy, and we'll even throw a little bit of music and music therapy in there as well. Thank you so much for joining us and stay tuned for the next episode. Hello, hello, hello. Happy Monday, everyone. It's Dr. Mitzi, the nerdy neurologist, and I'm so excited to be back with you all for another episode of Brain Chat. I'm super excited about the topic that we're going to discuss tonight um, because I'm very passionate about research. Um, so I've got some amazing guests on here to talk about um, research and how it involves you and how you can get involved um, and so many of the different aspects of research. So really, really excited to have them tonight. Um, Thank you for all of those in the Atlanta area that came out to the first roundtable discussion sponsored by the Joy Life Foundation. Um, it was a huge success, and we look forward to doing this type of programming um, in more markets around the country. So looking forward to meeting you at a city near you. So let's go ahead and get the party started because I've got some great guests and I know that this discussion is going to get so good that we're going to have trouble probably cutting off toward the end. So we'll start with uh, Sheila Thorne. She is the president and CEO of Multicultural Healthcare Marketing Group. She's recognized as a leading expert um, in multicultural healthcare marketing. She spent nearly three decades designing and implementing not only health education, but also media and marketing campaigns focused on communities of color. Um, she's represented the top 50 pharma and biotech companies throughout North America, Latin America, and based in London. She's worked on multinational programs. Um, she is a New Yorker, uh, and she has worked on recruitment and retention of diverse populations in 14 clinical trials across a broad range of therapeutic categories. Um, she has worked uh, with the NIH, the NIMH. She's lectured at universities. I mean, she is amazing, guys. Um, she is a daughter and sister of nurses and very passionate about um, increasing access and achieving healthcare equality for all. And that definitely shines through every time I have a discussion with her. I'm so excited to be with her tonight. And then also Dr. Annette Okai, one of my favorite fellow nerdy neurologists, who is a, a fellowship trained multiple sclerosis expert. Um, she is the medical director. Um, she is sorry, a diplomat of the American Board of Psychiatry and Neurology, and she is in a new clinical practice right outside of Dallas, where she is the director of neuroimmunology. All right, welcome, Sheila, and Hello. welcome, Dr. Okai. Welcome to Brain Chat, ladies. Okay, thank you so much, Dr. Williams. It's always an honor and a pleasure, and thank you for giving me the opportunity of sharing what I've learned on my journey. Awesome. Thank you for and Dr. having Okai. me. Absolutely. Please share with us your affiliation one more time. I had an outdated uh, bio here. So I am director of neuroimmunology and multiple sclerosis research at North yes. Texas Institute of Neurology and associate clinical professor at Texas Tech uh, Health Sciences in Lubbock, Texas. Awesome. Okay, so I have got the experts here. So listen, you guys know how excited I get about research. So I am 
just raring to dig into this topic today. All right. But first, before we get started, you guys know when you first come on Brain Chat, um, I always like to talk about kind of how you got into this space and how you got interested in working in the field of research. I always think of myself as a reluctant researcher because I recall a time in my career where I was not interested at all. And now my whole life revolves around research, which I find very ironic, but also very rewarding. So Mm -hmm. Sheila, tell us a little bit about how you got involved in research and marketing for clinical trials. Oh, thank you, Dr. Williams. And thank you again for keeping this on the front burner of your brain chat because it is so critically important uh, really, my in- entree into clinical research was kind of serendipitous. I didn't really focus and choose it. It kind of came by the wayside as I began to work with my pharmaceutical clients. The first question I would always ask them about any new product is how many people of color were in the clinical trials? And mm. then there was dead silence. <laughs> right. And they often would say, well, we had some, but they would never give it a number. And that was troubling to me because I knew that if physicians wanted to know if drugs were safe and effective in everyone, you had to get everyone in the trials. So I started talking to them about what's the problem? Why aren't you able to recruit and retain people of color? And again, silence. But here we are now, post COVID-19, kind of, sorta, and people are obviously now more aware of the value of clinical research. And so I'm getting calls all the time about how do we do a better job. It's no longer just a nice thing to do. It's now mandated by the FDA. You've yeah. included in your clinical trials. So I'm excited about this opportunity, this watershed moment, so that yes. I can come to the table and suggest to them ways that you can do a better job of being more effective in uh, product development. And, and that's been my uh, kind of entree. I sit at the table and I challenge them. Why don't you have more people of, clinic, of color in clinical trials? What's the problem? Is it language? Is it culture? What what is it? And I'm finding out that it's lack of diversity education. They Mm. don't understand the culture. Language they get, Dr. Williams and Dr. Okai, Mm. they don't get culture. Mm. Mm. Listen, you are preaching to the choir. You hear us already like, (laughs) yes, yes. All right. Um, So, Dr. Okai, tell us a little bit about your interest in the field. So I think in undergrad, I had an opportunity to do uh, a molecular research, you know, working with rats, and, and I really didn't like it. I'm like, oh, no, this is not for me. But when I entered neurology residency, my mentor kind of gradually introduced me to clinical research. Mm-hmm. And I kind of gravitated towards it, especially where MS was. So my interest in that grew exponentially, knowing always oh, not all about lab and lab animals. You know, there there's a different side to research, and, that, and we'll speak to that when we talk about the different type of research. So I went into it gradually. And and when I started um, on my own as an, uh, a, a physician, um, I like I have to do clinical research because mm-hmm. I started from the very as a resident, went into a fellowship and coming up, there's no way I couldn't do it. And, you know, Mitzi, we call ourselves twins. We went through a <laughs> fellowship together we, and we yeah. started we started uh, at the same time rather. And we started this journey asking the yeah. same question, Sheila, mm-hmm. how many people? Well, you know, we got stonewalled. We got even to get the 
numbers were, mm -hmm. oh my God, what do you want to do with it? And, you know, like we were trying to get something out of Fort Knox. Mm. That's how many numbers were in there. And so we persevere. We've been through this journey for a long time in MS. Mm -hmm. yeah. And um, it's, and we started to gain a little bit of traction mm -hmm. pre-COVID, pre yeah, mm -hmm. uh, you know, about two or three years. But then it really opened up mm -hmm. during COVID to say, look, you know, things are, we haven't been exaggerating all this time. Right. You know, even to get a paper out on, mm. on 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 the number of people in research or how many people and how they responded, mm -hmm. it was falling tooth and nail to do that. Right. But uh, we have to we have to continue to to stick with it, and we have to keep our foot on the pedal mm -hmm. to make sure that this isn't a flash in the pan and it's a lasting thing, because. Mm -hmm. We're not going anywhere, um, uh, and people of color are now being diagnosed at way higher rates mm -hmm. than than and than they were in the past. So we have yeah. to continue to be inclusive of them, so that what we are doing and the drugs we are prescribing for our patients mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. reflects what it says it in all across all population. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Music to my heart to hear you. Yes. I mean, talk like this. Wow. Yeah. And, and I love, you know, the conversation because, you know, Annette and I did come out of training at the same time, you know, and people would ask us to do all these programs, you know, during February is Black History Month. And then we'll go to the literature to try to find evidence about MS and popular and it just wasn't there. You right. know, I always talk about how I could fit every article written in English about Black people with MS in a three-ring binder. And I literally could reread my three-ring binder almost every year before I gave another program. And there mm -hmm. might be one or two additional articles, but there just wasn't a lot of information around there. Um, and then when we think about diversity and research, certainly, you know, this is Black History Month. We focus a lot on Black populations, but there are also many other underrepresented populations mm -hmm. in research, right? We think about Native Americans. We think about Asian Pacific Islanders. We mm -hmm. think about... Um, the Hispanic Latino community, even if we think about people in rural populations, right? There mm -hmm. are lots of groups that need to be included because it's just good science, right? Exactly. Um, and because we want to make sure that whatever we're developing really accurately reflects the people that we're trying to reach because exactly. people are asking, well, what about me? Were there people that look like me in these studies? So let's kind of take a step back for a second and talk about the different types of research because oftentimes when we talk about research, many people's minds automatically go to clinical trials and they are a very major part of research that we definitely need diversity in. But why don't we start with you, um, Annette, tell us a little bit about some of the different types of research that people can be involved in. And then Sheila, if you could tell us some about some of the types of projects that you have worked on as well. Okay. So as you said, Mitzi, uh, people minds uh, readily go to clinical trial where you're in a study and you they are investigating a new compound. Now, mm -hmm. that's a big part of clinical research and we certainly encourage that and and but there are different types like I mentioned before the way I started in research was gradually and mm -hmm. then I increase my knowledge and move on because if I was just going to go into a lab to learn research I wasn't going to do it I wasn't interested 
So different types of research. One, you can it can be observational. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. there are observational study where you are just being observed for different character traits. And mm -hmm. it nothing required on your part, probably going to the doctor, doing a physical exam, and that's it. Mm -hmm. Another type of research can be a registry. And mm -hmm. Mitzi, you have talked about the African-American registry on here multiple times, where your information based on your reporting mm -hmm. is then used to analyze what's going on in the community. So mm -hmm. this is not interventional. You are not getting filled. Mm -hmm. You are not getting any kind of investigative compound. Mm -hmm. Another type of research is, okay, you could be giving blood and we are examining your blood to say, why do people of color have this reaction to certain mm -hmm. medication? That's another way. Once again, you are not getting a, 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 a compound to ingest that you don't know of. So those are several different types of research. And then you come to the clinical trials part. And this mm -hmm. is also important. So some people are hesitant because, oh, I'm getting something. I don't know what I'm getting. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm being tested on. But mm -hmm. these things have been tested way in what we call preclinical phases. Mm -hmm. But it's important for us to be involved in this stage as well. Because we can pick up what we call safety signals early on. So if there's an issue in a certain group, we pick it up during the clinical trial and not wait until the medication comes on the market. And then all of a sudden there's a recall or do not use in this population because there are issues or it doesn't work as effectively. So another, uh, uh, so while people, as I said, are hesitant about that, there are lots of other ways to dip your foot in the, uh, dip your toe in the pool just to get started. Registries, observational studies, and sometimes even the medication that has been uh, approved and is prescribed to you by, by your physician, there are studies on that. People are looking for safety long-term data if mm -hmm. you're going to take the medication anyway. Can you fill out a few surveys? Can you answer a few questions? Or can you donate blood and see what is going on? So for anyone who is hesitant to uh, think about clinical trials, uh, I'll say look at other types and see what fits you before you take the leap. And then there are some people who embrace it enthusiastically, and we are appreciative of those people. But like Sheila mentioned earlier, education is key. We have to mm -hmm. educate the community about why we are talking about this and why we are making uh, this a focus, because we need representation. So we talk about representation in everything else, in the boardroom, at, <laughs> you know, in the C-suite. We right. need representation. Representation as well, mm -hmm. Sheila. Yes, uh, that was a, a great overview, Dr. Okai, and and mm -hmm. I always call it for going from molecule to market. So you mm -hmm. you've got to figure out how that molecule is going to impact people who don't look like you, who don't right. come from where you come from, who don't speak the right. language you speak. In terms of dosing, compliance, side effects, mm -hmm. all mm -hmm. of those things have been scientifically documented are different. Uh, right. in people of different cultural backgrounds. The only thing I'll add to Dr. Okai's great overview is the, the kind of observational study, uh, one that I'm working on right now in mental health, 
which also has its own stigmas attached to it in communities mm-hmm. of color. They're trying to find out what is the solution or the best therapy. Is it talk therapy? Is it pharmacological? Mm-hmm. Or is it both? Mm-hmm. So that's kind of a, a survey trying to search for what works best. And this is with youth of color. Uh, and so clearly that's a dynamic that many people don't think about. But you know, mm-hmm. that what I often suggest to community is full disclosure, complete transparency. Right. Nobody's going to jump into a trial just because you need a participant. They've got to understand totally what's the day in the life like if I right. participate in this clinical trial uh, from when I go through my tests, when I'm actually approved, and then where does it go from there? And those times are challenging for people of color. So right. we have to really look carefully, not only recruiting, but retaining people of color in the trials so you can have the outcomes that you want. So I've run the gamut. Most of it yeah. has been with new drugs, new devices. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, in this investigational drugs, you know, mm-hmm. phase three, uh, where that's when you're about to go out into market. So, but there are many types and we need to just educate the community on, on letting them know why this is necessary, valuing their participation. Because, you know, right. they always say those folks are hard to reach. No, no, no. Right. They're hardly reached. Exactly. Right? They're not so, asked. They're not asked. So mm-hmm. and the, the PIs definitely need to be of color. The site teams need to have people of color linguistically as well as culturally. So we've yeah. got to start from the bottom up and fix Absolutely. this. What's happening Absolutely. now is unacceptable. Totally unacceptable. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and, you know, I love this discussion um, because, you know, there are so many different ways. I think about, you know, I, I used to do a lot of research even before I used to do a lot of market research. I remember, you know, people would call the house and I would go try on different jeans and all this other kind of, you know, just I was always very interested in being involved in research, you know, and we don't realize that we are actually involved in research all the time when people do those market surveys. Sure. We just have to take it a step forward and think about your healthcare, right? And living with chronic conditions, it's mm. so much more important um, for us to have, not more, but it's, it's very important for us to have that representation because we're talking about things that could affect people's livelihoods, their ability to function. With a disease like MS, we're talking about your brain or your spine. There's a lot at stake, right? Yes. Um, when we don't know how things affect populations differently. You were going to say something, Dr. Okai. Yeah, I was saying you, we are involved in research all the time. When all the time. When we're on TikTok, mm, when right. we're on Instagram, even our emails, when the, the, the data is collected right. and it's used for market research. Absolutely. So, you know, putting all those comments, all those videos, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, uh, TikTok, Snapchat, and then you got your Outlook email, your Gmail email, uh, email everything. Mm-hmm. It's being scanned. Yes, it's, right. being, it's being analyzed. And sure. you're not even, uh, well, you give consent because you're using a product. Right. But did mm-hmm. you give specific consent for how right. they use it? You know, right. so, so we have to take it to a different level. Absolutely. 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 Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, we use research and we do our own research all the time. Right. And again, mm-hmm. I try to think about how do we apply this to our everyday life? Right. If you're looking mm-hmm. for a car. Right. If you're looking for a hairdryer and how it works on certain hair or certain makeup or beauty lines, you know, all of that is research that you have to go look up to see how that affects you. Right. So likewise, again, when we think about something as important as 
medications and therapies that can affect the course of your life. Mm-hmm. Just like you want to know how that hair dryer, if that makeup or if that laser treatment is for you, we also need to know if these medications and other interventions are for you. So right. when we think about kind of you know, the issue, right? So obviously we know that there's an issue with diversity and many people do know, but let's kind of talk about, I like numbers. Like what is the state of diversity in our clinical research? Like, why is this so imperative? Um, And I'll have you start, Sheila, from like a broader sense. And then Annette, I want you to talk more specifically about um, some of the statistics and some of our understanding as it pertains to MS research. Yes, I think the numbers definitely tell the story uh, because Mm -hmm. clearly uh, under 5% of these populations are enrolled in clinical trials compared to the mainstream populations. And that number has stayed the same over the years. It's had its, its, its highs and its lows, but it stays the same. So there's something not happening in these communities that we need to take a look at. However, when the COVID-19 vaccine trials were taking place, it's the closest I've ever seen to coming to the proportionate number in the population. So we did something different there. Uh, And so we've got to take a look at what are the key learnings from that? Obviously, COVID-19 had a dramatic impact. People were dying Mm -hmm. by the thousands every day. So it Mm -hmm. got folks' attention. MS may not be that dramatic. You know, uh, diabetes may not be that dramatic, but we've got to create an urgency Mm -hmm. around the clinical research piece and that you need to be included in that, even from the protocol development. Uh, You know, what's the inclusion exclusion criteria? I could, you know, doctors, I could take a look at that and tell them in a minute, you got to have to find these black folks on another planet. Okay. Not another planet. Another planet. I I don't know where you can find these folks when you excluded almost everything. Everything. Yes, exactly. So so I'm not a scientist as you ladies are, but my question is, does it have to be that stringent uh, for you to come with the right outcomes and, you know, the clinical data? I think we've got to challenge those things so that we're more inclusive and make it a little bit lessening the burden of being in that clinical trial. And so it's it's from A to Z. You've got to start from the very beginning. Because we act like as scientists that people are doing us a favor. Like, (laughs) like, no, no, no. We act like we're doing them a favor by Mm. allowing them to volunteer to yeah. be in these research studies, but actually they are doing the favor and the service to the scientific community. And we really need to renovate. Um, I agree with you 100%, Sheila, the way that we're thinking about this, because we really act like, I mean, and so we are offering a service, right? It is very good cutting edge care, but really they are volunteering of their own free will and we have to make it easier and more accessible for the people who are taking their time out to participate and contribute to the scientific community. So what about MS specifically, Annette? Tell us about some of the, our understanding of, you know, how um, MS affects certain populations and how diverse or lack of diversity there is evident in our clinical research. All right. So, uh, you know, this disease has been around for over 150 plus years. And it was always thought people of color weren't affected. Mm -hmm. And and then, I mean, people were misdiagnosed because like, oh, you are black or you're Hispanic, you can't Mm -hmm. have MS. And then all of a sudden we start to see more people of color Mm -hmm. being diagnosed. But that is not being reflected in our clinical trials. And I mean, Mm -hmm. from the early trials, we could count on our hands. 
the mm. number of black patients or the number of Hispanic patients in that. The like number 10, is still below like multiple 5%. trials had 10, 5, mm-hmm. 10 yeah. people yes. yeah. in a and, phase and three clinical trial. In a phase three out of hundreds, almost a thousand. And and the, and that percentage, like you said, have moved slightly, but not it not a whole lot, still no. under five percent. Mm-hmm. What is the issue, Sheila? Mm-hmm. Like you said, we have to start from the bottom up. And there's a comment in here that you know about we need to recruit uh, PIs in yes. in these community, and we need mm-hmm. to partner them with the academic center. Mm-hmm. Like you said, where are you going to find those people when you look at the criteria, right? Yes. 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 Well, we don't have to go off the planet <laughs> for them. But take a, take a typical academic center. They have a resident clinic where, you know, people are sent. And then they have the actual, you know, uh, attending clinic. Well, who's mm-hmm. in the resident clinic? People of color, they do not have access That's to right. those trials because the resident turnover is, you know, very frequent exactly. and they get lost in the fold or mm-hmm. they're in the county hospital and trials aren't being conducted there. But who's mm-hmm. conducting the trials? Uh, who's running the county hospital, the academic center where trials are being conducted. Mm-hmm. So we have to bridge that gap mm-hmm. uh, as to where it is. MS, uh, at uh, where it is right now, we're seeing incidence and prevalence increasing in in, in this uh, 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 cohort, people of color. Mm-hmm. And, and we have to match it because we have been burned before mm-hmm. where we thought, you know, this medication approved for MS is great. And then after it came to market, after a few years, it was, oh, it mm. is not as effective mm. as we thought uh, in this population versus the other. Mm-hmm. Imagine if we had even five percent in that in that in that clinical trial, we would have noticed it early on. Mm-hmm. Instead of mm-hmm. putting everyone on the same uh, uh, treatment, it's not one size fit all. Exactly. And so exactly. and so the, the the we have to continue to do that. And, mm-hmm. uh, and, and look at, like you said, the inclusion exclusion criteria. When it comes to the real world, those are in the criteria that we're using. Mm-hmm. We are so what is on. what is inclusion exclusion criteria? Can you um, break that okay, down a little so bit Okay, so to the elaborate audience? on that, what, in a clinical trial, you have to meet certain criteria to be included. Or if you have certain other issues, you are excluded. For an example, MS specifically, most of our trials are relapsing remitting. Mm. So, and so for most of our relapsing remitting trials, you have to be able to walk without a cane. Mm. Well, if we look at the black and brown population, because the disease is more progressed and aggressive, even people who are relapsing remitting are using a cane. Mm, right. Does that make them any uh, a, a progressive patient? No. It's mm-hmm. just that the degree, uh, disease is uh, uh, more aggressive and they need an assistive device earlier on. Mm-hmm. But if you are using a cane, you cannot be com- included in this trial. And mm-hmm. I'm seeing this as a general thing, right? Yes, it's just yes. an example. So... We already know that disease people advance to keen uh, more quickly in this population, but they are still having inflammation. Why are you excluding them? 
Correct. Mm -hmm. Right. Correct. And Absolutely. when it comes to the market, we mm -hmm. are going to put those same people on the medication. Exactly so in inclusion criteria, you have to walk this distance without a key, without resting to be included. Mm -hmm. An exclusion criteria is that you are using a cane, so you are excluded from the trial. That's so right. we have to re-examine yes. how we t uh, uh, look at our data. Our We have to uh, think outside of the box. That's and it. It it's very, for, for clinical trials, we are making adjustments all uh and, and redefining things all the time, Absolutely. but we have not looked at the clinical trial process itself. Yes, right? yes, yes, yes. We have not looked at the process itself, the same thing we've been doing for years and yes. years. Yes, We continue to do it. And then you come right. and say, oh, help me recruit Black people. Oh, sorry. Right. So, so and, and then what happens is everything is created, right? Mm -hmm. All the sites and places are chosen. All the investigators are chosen. And then they call and say, oh, well, now we've done everything. Now tell us how to make it more diverse. And it's like, well, mm -hmm. everything He's, is done. You set them <laughs> so up. Yeah. Yeah. I, I can't fix it after everything is done, you That's know. Right. So um, I think that we have to be intentional about thinking about this from the beginning. Absolutely. Um, and I love what you were saying, Annette, you know, about inclusion and exclusion criteria, because oftentimes, you know, um, those results and the way that those studies are done then inform the availability of these mm. treatments to certain groups of people. Mm. So particularly, particularly with MS, most of our trials only go to the age of 55. Well, so what do I do with the 60-year-old patient who is relatively mm. young? who has MS, you know, and some company says, well, they don't fit this criteria. Or if I have someone who maybe can't walk very well, mm -hmm. um, but they are working and they're using their chair and their arms are working fine. Does that mean that because you can't use your legs that we shouldn't preserve your arms and your brain? Like that doesn't exactly. make sense. Right. It so doesn't. we have think that these things not only inform how we understand side effects, but understand who these treatments are available to and what we really understand about how they work. Exactly. Um, before we talk about solutions, because I know we got some good stuff and we've mentioned some things about solutions, I do want to take a pause here and I want to talk for a minute about the benefits of research. So yes. we're like, okay, everybody needs to be in a trial. You got to get in a trial. You got to get in research. But what are the benefits that people get out of being involved in clinical research? And I'll start with you, Sheila, and then I'll go to you, Annette. Okay. Well, first of all, thank you, Dr. Williams. Your work has helped educate me on MS more than anything else. Your videos, your, your writing, all of that. So so kudos to you for taking you. a stepping out on that. Um, because that's Great something, job. Yeah, it's, it's excellent. I always go to her first, you know, and get, <laughs> get the real deal. Um, but the benefits are really what I emphasize when I talk to community groups about clinical studies. And sometimes that word clinical trials is a little off-putting too, um, mm. because trials kind of speaks to experimentation. And right. because of the history of our country, people of color really don't like being guinea pigs or lab rats, as we often right. hear them say. However, when I talk about the benefits of the personalized attention you will get by being in this clinical study with the site team, knowing that everybody is really focused on you, helping you to see that your uh, journey in this clinical study is very important to them. So that's one that attracts people. And the one mm -hmm. that really gets people of color is it's not only going to help you and your family, but the community. 
Yeah. You know, Absolutely. we're yeah. very, very keen on mm-hmm. how we as a, a people going to be improved by this clinical study. Those two things really get people when you tell them about your participation is going to be uh, far reaching in terms of its, its impact. And so those two things I have learned are really what enables the conversation to proceed. So again, lessening the burden, transparency. And Dr. Okai talked about the upfront piece. You know, if you meet the criteria, that's just the beginning. You may have to go through four to six weeks of diagnostic tests to see whether you really are eligible for this trial. So what's Mm -hmm. that that piece you're going to do in four to six weeks? And at the end of which you might say, you know what? You're not eligible. Sorry. Yeah. I mean, that leads, it's kind of deflating, if you will, but it's necessary. So that six weeks, you know, childcare, work, all of those things you have to juggle in order to be officially in this trial. And then don't Mm. let me get started about the informed consent document. Oh, Mm. yes. 50 pages. 50 page document, you know, and I'm supposed to go through every page and the site coordinator will say, do you understand? Okay, initial that. Do you understand? (laughs) I mean, come on. I mean, so clearly when you look at marginalized communities, this is all new to them. Uh, So it clearly has to be taken patiently. And talk about the MS situation with using a cane. I've worked on clinical trials where there was a literacy criteria. You've got Mm. a 10th grade reading level. Well, who came up with that? Okay. Wow. And you've got to be documented. I mean, there's a whole list of things that automatically Mm. excludes large numbers of people. But that's a systemic problem. You have to challenge those things. Is that absolutely necessary uh, for a person to be in the trial? So I I think that's something that as PIs and as scientists, that's why I look to you to say, I don't think so. This is not going to work. And the two things that pharmaceutical companies hate to hear is trial takes longer and costs more. Okay. Mm Yeah. But that's what it takes to do inclusive yeah. research. <laughs> yeah. So you got to be in it for the long haul. Okay. This oh, is you either pay up front or pay way later. That's right. Exactly. Somewhere you know, we'll the money is going to come. You're going to pay. Yeah. Exactly. Absolutely. Exactly. What are your thoughts on that? What are some other potential benefits of research? So the benefits I'd like to point First, I totally agree with Sheila. Community engagement, community information. It helps the community overall. And that's mm-hmm. why we're speaking to this. But another thing I'd like to point out, point out is you have access to cutting-edge technology. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Cutting-edge technology. That is important. Look, you know, all through phases of research, it has to have gone through very different stages to reach into the stage where it's now open to hundreds of people. Mm-hmm. And there are people clamoring, but it's cutting-edge technology. You have access to that. Um, personalized, as a, I tell people, you see me more in a mm-hmm. clinical trial than you see me uh, just, just as a patient. Right. So personal, every aspect of your health is being looked at. Mm-hmm. So whatever you're experiencing, if you stop your toe, I have to record that. Mm. And so the level of of uh, involvement is mm-hmm. so high that you know you wouldn't get that just on your insurance, exactly, uh, or just seeing your primary care doctor. Mm-hmm. Another benefit that I like to to think, but I don't use that as a selling tool for clinical trial, is that MS is an expensive disease. Mm-hmm. Right? So you have MRIs, you have labs, 
you have days off from work, you know, it is an expensive disease. And while trial can be sometimes burdensome in terms of time commitment, and we'll get to that mid-tier thing, mm -hmm. but also think about the other side. You're not paying for MRIs, which you get frequently, mm -hmm. you know, in a clinical trial. Imagine you go and get an MRI mm -hmm. and your uh, deductible is $1,200. Mm. Well, even I, I'm going to balk at, at paying $1,200 out of my pocket when I have kids. Mm -hmm. I have to pay total work and all of mm -hmm. that. So mm -hmm. that's free. Labs are free. You know, most almost nothing comes out of your pocket for that. That's but right. that's not an enticement. You Correct. know, but, you know, we yeah. never use that as an enticement, but as something to think about as yes. well. Right. Yes. So the personalized care community uh, information, cutting edge technology, mm -hmm. those are things that you have in your, and then, you know, who knows, you may be doing it for future generations. You are doing it for future generations down in line. Right, right. Absolutely. So I agree with all of those um, things. And in terms of personalized care, I mean, you have a lot of eyes on you. Yes. Very frequently there, the nurses, the coordinators. Mm -hmm. You have the primary investigator who is the doctor who's kind of heading up the trial. You usually have a blinded person who's another mm -hmm. doctor that's doing an exam on you. So people are monitoring very closely. So if there's something going wrong, it's going to be addressed, right? You're not going to be sitting there waiting five yeah. weeks for somebody to call mm -hmm. you back, right? Mm -hmm. exactly. response very quickly. There are protocols in place to make sure that things are addressed. And I think the other piece, um, you know, is that, you know, if something happens, you can get out, right? So yes. it's not like yes. you can withdraw where, consent. Yes. You know, exactly. so it's not like you're signing this sentence, what you get in, like, there's no way out. You know, th there are protocols. If there are issues with whatever treatment or intervention you have and that's not working there is a way out to get you the appropriate treatment right that's so right. nobody's going to sit there and let someone suffer and continue to do worse if exactly. whatever you know treatment or intervention they're on is not working so you know mm -hmm. i always like to um make sure that we also discuss the benefits right because mm -hmm. we tell people the importance mm -hmm. why they should do it but mm -hmm. there are many benefits research is not a bad thing right we mm -hmm. need to renovate the way that we do it so that it's even more accessible to more people but there are many benefits to being involved in research if you're able to do so um, and you guys have mentioned most of the major ones. So um, we've got a little time left. Um, so we, we've got, we're coming toward the end of the program, but oh, really? let's talk about, <laughs> I know, I, I knew this was going to happen. I should have done a part one and part flies. two with you later. Right. I, I may have you come back and do a part two, but let's talk about solutions, right? So, okay. you know, um, you know, we know we can't boil the ocean, but what are some <laughs> practical things that need to happen to help um, solve this problem. There, I'm very excited about some things that are being done. You know, Annette and I are involved in the CHIMES trial, which is a trial focused on Black and Hispanic um, mm -hmm. American people with MS. And there were some really cool things we did with the way that we created the protocol, working mm -hmm. directly with patients and advocacy organizations um, mm -hmm. to make sure we could get people recruited and make sure we had the right language and we were set in the right tone. Um, but let's talk a little bit about kind of some of the top line things that need to happen to help solve this problem. So I've heard you talk a lot about challenging, Sheila, which mm -hmm. I love that word. But mm -hmm. tell us kind of some of your top line things um, that you think are most important to, to help move the needle forward. Well, definitely. I think the number one, in my opinion, would be targeted geographies. 
uh, the mm. sponsors of clinical trials always go back to the same centers because they have track record with them. They know yeah. them and there's a comfort level there. Unfortunately, right. many of those centers are not accessible to people of color. So transportation right. becomes an issue, familiarity. Right. So I think you should look at where the sites are that mm. you want to gather people in the traditional sense of going to sites. Number two, partnerships. If you have no one on your team that looks like the people of color, you need to gain the respect and the support of community-based organizations, which mm -hmm. may or may not be focused on MS. Mm -hmm. They just may be the trusted voices in the community. Uh, I'm doing one clinical trial in the state and nobody on the, at the site in the site team is of color. PI is not of color. So I'm bringing in black nurses, Hispanic nurses, I'm bringing in other community groups, NAACP, Urban League, uh, the community colleges, so that when you do are successfully recruiting, you have some people who can come in at a time when somebody is coming to the site who looks like them. So, right. you know, you're not going to increase diversity overnight. But to me, targeted geographies where the critical mass of the population exists, finding community trusted messengers and voices who can support your effort and get the word out in the community that this is a good thing and how do you bring people in? And thirdly, most importantly, a boots on the ground approach, okay? Mm. You know, ads and papers are great, 800 numbers are nice, but I wanna have those flyers about that study in barbershops, in beauty salons, in exchange places, in bodegas, in housing projects. I wanna saturate the community so that you create a buzz about this trial so that if you or someone you know would be eligible, you spread the word. You've got to create that surround sound mm -hmm. environment because people are not just going to voluntarily uh, reach out unless they see it in church, they hear it on the radio, they get a flyer right. at the barbershop, they get, right. a, they get a flyer in the Meals on Wheels with, with food pantries. You got to look at the community, map the community, and hit the community in as many spots as possible so that at some point they say, I think these people are trying to get my attention about this trial. <laughs> and you're going to call somebody or talk to somebody. And that to me is what I've used that really, really works. Mm -hmm. I love those ideas. You know, and speaking to site, you know, selection, I remember Annette and I, you know, having this issue when we first, you mm -hmm. know, started in this field of research. It was very hard yeah. to get to studies, you know, we would yeah. go to meetings, we would raise the question, what about MS in these populations? And they say, oh, that's a great idea. And then we see the paper published with somebody else's name on it. And it's like, well, really? <laughs> well, I remember <laughs> us fighting to get a, a picture of a Black person on a pamphlet. Wow. Wow. Fighting. Wow. Oh, we don't think legal is going to go with that. Wow. Yeah. I mean, so it, yes. it's been a trip, you know, um, you know, oh, yeah. but I, I, I agree wholeheartedly. Right. You know, and again, investing in sites, right, that are yes. not at the large academic centers. Annette and I, you know, have been part of larger practices and also been on our own, you know, mm -hmm. and can test be a testament to when you're kind of out there by yourself, even if you're an expert in the field, mm -hmm. it's not easy mm -hmm. um, to get on the radar to be. Mm -hmm a potential site for clinical research. You know, mm -hmm. it can be very difficult. Um, and so investing in sites that are smaller and maybe don't have, you know, mm -hmm. the 50-year history of being involved, but have investigators who are diverse is also very, very important. Mm -hmm. um, and um, Annette, tell us about some of your thoughts about how we how we can remedy some, some of these issues. 
So I'm glad uh, Sheila talked about the recruitment part and the representation in the clinical, you know, in the clinical team and all mm -hmm. of that. So I'm going to focus on the process a little mm -hmm. bit. So right. uh, it was mentioned earlier on that it can be burdensome for people, especially hourly workers, people mm -hmm. who have kids and they have to think about daycare and all of that. Clinical trial takes time. Mm -hmm. So uh, several things. I think one thing COVID, uh, COVID taught us a whole lot. Yes. It was a horrible time, but we yes. learned a whole lot. Is that things can be done remotely. Yes. So let's change that. Why does someone have to come to the clinic mm. for three to four hours to draw labs, mm. to fill out surveys, you know, to answer all of these questions when, bam, that's a smartphone. Mm -hmm. Or you have the nurse go out to where they are, mm -hmm. either their job or their home, wherever they're comfortable, and get the blood. Okay, so that's one thing. There are certain processes within the clinical trial um, protocol that can be done remotely that wouldn't take up a lot of time. Mm -hmm. Another thing to do is, you know, as uh, Mitzi, you said, these people are giving us the time. Mm -hmm. They're doing us the favor. Mm -hmm. So we have to account for their time as well. Right. You know, pay for ch uh, child care, yeah. pay for driving the distance, mm -hmm. pay for hotels. So like the Chimes trial, we made sure all of those were in place. If you're driving 400 miles and I've had patients there, we have a hotel for you. We pay mm -hmm. for your transportation. If mm -hmm. you need child care, that is covered as well. If you need to stay late, you're not worried about that. Mm -hmm. So you make it less burdensome mm -hmm. for the patient. Mm -hmm. All right. So that's part of the process. And we look at, once again, the inclusion exclusion criteria. Mm -hmm. You know, let's go back to kidney disease. You know, if you have, you know, this long outdated formula that, oh, black people have, we have to calculate their, their, their kidney function different from mm. the other races when that was wrong mm -hmm. all along and we were using it for 20 plus years. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. look at the the metrics that you mm -hmm. are using as well and not just exclude and get this pristine population mm. for your trial. You have to be uh, flexible. Yes, we understand that we have to show results. We have mm -hmm. to show very robust results. Mm -hmm. But we have to look at the process, change the process. The so reality. Mm -hmm. Yes, making it less burdensome for, pe uh, for right. patients, making things that uh, uh, are uh, in terms of time, in terms of uh, 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 work time, in terms of hotel distance, so people can come from the rural places to participate to participate in trial. You know, I have patients coming in on Thursday mm -hmm. and Friday. Um, speaking of time, I think about I uh, about no forty percent of my patients drive over four hundred miles mm, for wow. this trial. Wow. You're yes. in Texas. That's yeah, a lot. And, Texas and is I, a big state. It's a big state and the surrounding states. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. I I've seen it, and Mitzi, we have made it work. Yes. Trial. So the point that we recruited and our recruitment ended early. Mm, wow. And this is and we over enrolled by 25 percent. And we over enrolled. And, and this is in a population that people said, oh, they don't like to participate. 
they will not do that. Mm. Wow, look what happened. Yes, right. yes, okay. yes. And so, so I love yeah. all of those um, suggestions. And the thing that I would add that I think about a lot is that we also have to educate our peers, our yes. medical um, oh, yes. You know, investigators, right? And we can't assume that because it is an academic center that everyone is all knowing <laughs> about mm-hmm. everything, right? right. Um, and so there needs to be education to make sure that people are asking. You know, mm-hmm. I've had people say things to me about, um, you know, uh, well, maybe we just don't have the population to be involved in trials. And they're like some like New York. And I'm like, really? Like, oh, you know, boy. Like yeah. people in New York, like this is crazy, <laughs> you know. So I think we have to educate our peers to not assume, right? Yes. And so you may have had in your experience people who have said no, or people who may not have had positive responses. But that mm-hmm. doesn't mean give up or quit asking right. those people, because there are many people who, despite their concerns, despite the history, um, you know, want to be involved, right? Um, mm-hmm. And so they won't know that they can be involved if we don't ask. Um, exactly and so right. I think that that is another piece that I would add, um, you know, for us, you know, who are doing the work is mm-hmm. to make sure that we're ed- educating the medical community, um, because mm-hmm. many of the clinical trials, I mean, many of our academic centers are in Yes. Heavily populated urban or minority area. You know what I mean? So it's not like the people aren't there. I mean, there are people who drive long distances, but there are people in the vicinity, you know. And so, you know, we have to make sure that we are, um, you know, not assuming that everyone knows exactly what needs to be done and is aware of of some of the work that, you know, um, you know. And you have have to help the the site teams because in my experience, they're very... Um, conscientious and they're very diligent, but mm-hmm. rarely do they go out in community and do right. the kind of recruitment we're talking about. So find yeah, out what's going not. on. Where they don't, Absolutely. they don't have the time. It's, they may right. have the inclination, but it's, it's a time right. factor. It's labor intensive. So Absolutely. get the pastor of the largest black church. You get the largest Hispanic business owner. You know, I've been yeah. working in the Native American community. Find your partners. What do they right. do on a regular basis so that you can get right. a flyer there, a speaker there? Uh, radio yeah. is the is the is the medium of choice for mm-hmm. people of color because music is such a big part of our culture. You know mm-hmm. how can you include? Go where the people are at. Don't create yeah. something new that you have to draw right. people. Piggyback right. on something that's there. Does that church do a health fair every once a month? You know uh, the mobile units in the uh, Latino community, los promotoras, the community health workers, drive around in the community. Give them information as people wait on the corners for them to come. So right. again, the, the 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 opportunities are there. We've got mm-hmm. to proactively take advantage of them. Uh, you you know, you build it and people will come. No, no, you got to go and get people to come. You got to go get the people. You build yeah. and then you go get the people and bring them back. There you go. Absolutely. And, yeah, but it, and I it love works. it. It works. It works. I love it. Well, ladies, believe it or not, we have come to the end of our time (laughs) that fast. Looks like we just started talking. Um, But just really quick, um, I I want you to tell me about one or two projects that you're excited about or one or two initiatives you're excited about in the field. You want me to start? Okay. Yes. Yeah, sorry. Um, I was looking uh, at you, Sheila, in my mind. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. Sheila first. Um, well, I, I, I really am excited about the three clinical trials that I'm working on right now because the uh, sponsoring organization, the clinical research organization, is making a concerted effort 
to do it the right way. They've built mm-hmm. in money for people who really need it for transportation, et cetera, mm-hmm. and for time, you know, because that's obviously something to think about. Um, and, and what's interesting is the look of the materials, I suggest, is totally different. They're not used mm. to that. Mm-hmm. You know, usually the materials are pale pinks and blues and gray. No, people of color like vibrant, bold colors to catch their attention so that you can pick mm-hmm. up. So, you know, they say, well, you think that's going to work? Mm-hmm. Yep, trust me. <laughs> They're going to know when you use red, black, green, and gold, that's for black folks, okay? Okay, wow. You know, and one, one young man, we did a, a test in a, in a market. He says, I saw those colors. I picked it up and I kept reading. I kept reading. I kept, His eyes kept going down to the bottom. He's, I'm going to take this to my next meeting and show folks. Uh, so, you know, that's been a very uh, dynamic and interesting, um, uh, taking people out of their comfort zone. Don't do what mm-hmm. you always do. Don't just put a black face on a brochure and think that's mm-hmm. enough. It's not. OK, mm-hmm. look right. Feel right. So awesome. that I know you knew I was going to pick that up. Right. I love yeah. it. I love it. And what about you? <laughs> so I am glad that it's now a mandate. Um for for uh, uh, diversity and inclusion. Uh, we've been talking about MS and clinical trial as a whole, but you know, uh, something just came across my, my email regarding NMO, neuromyelitis optica, which, you know, a majority of the people are black and, and, and you look at the brochures and they're showing people Scandinavian folks. So that's a different story. Yes. You know, looking at, you know, even though it seemed like a small um, a project right now, but registries mm. for these people, I'm excited about that. But also everything else that is going on in the MS world in terms of how we are, you know, the new compounds, the new molecules that we have and how it's looking. And, you know, we can boil the ocean, as you said, Mitzi, but mm. one little step at a time. And, and that's what we're doing. We just keep our foot on the pedal to make sure that, you know, the moment, moment, momentum continues. Absolutely. Challenge, challenge, challenge. I love challenge. it. And ladies, listen, we could talk for another hour, but you know, there's something else that's got to come on BDO after we're done. So I can't <laughs> keep you another hour. Um, but thank you so much for your time, your insights. Um, it is always a pleasure discussing because we all have that same kind of fire to get the work done. Yes. Um, yes. And I'm just so um, honored uh, to speak with both of you and to witness the amazing work that you're doing in your spaces. Um, and I look forward to us having another discussion um, in the near future. I see lots of comments where people have been very excited about the conversation and seem like they've gleaned a lot. Um, the illustrious members of the panel tonight. So um, I want to thank you all. Thank you, Sheila. Thank you, Dr. Okai. I want to thank our sponsors, Biogen IDEC, uh, for sponsoring. And of course, the Joy Life Foundation, um, which um, sponsors and powers uh, the Brain Chat podcast. So thank you, everyone. Have a wonderful night. And we will see everybody again in two weeks for our next topic about MS awareness. Good evening, everybody. Right. Thank you. Bye-bye.